If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I am Jessica Fuentes. And I'm William Sarada. And today we're doing a little bit of a roundup. So this is maybe two weeks earlier than we normally do it in the year. But, you know, we wanted to give this to you before the holidays, maybe before you check out. Maybe you're already checked out. But either way, uh, there's not that much else happening in the next two weeks before the year is over, which is in itself is crazy. Uh, so we wanted to talk about things that stuck out to us throughout the year. Um, our glass tire best of 2023 this year, which features contributions from all three of us, as well as a number of our writers across the state is out right now. We will link that in the, um, post of this podcast on glass tire and we highly encourage you to go check that out because it is uh very comprehensive i just wanted to open it up to y'all jessica and william and ask what really stuck out to y'all this year i'm sure we'll end up saying some names of shows or some artists or some trips that we took or things that we saw that kind of stood out but when you're thinking about 2023 this year in art in texas what leaps to the front of your mind? Well, Brandon, we were just kind of pre-interviewing each other in preparation for this. And um, Jessica, I think you mentioned that it's always a struggle to kind of uh, cobble together all of the disparate exhibitions we saw this year. And I think partly that's because I want to say I traveled more miles than in prior years. I definitely have not crunched the numbers on that. Uh, But I just got back from El Paso. Jessica and myself both visited South Texas, about 400 miles of the borderlands uh, at the top of the year in January, which was quite formative in uh, bolstering my understanding of arts and cultural production in the state of Texas. So I think As the year closes, I'm just making a couple of comparisons. My brain is trying to organize uh, all the new places I went to and how familiar they are to other places I've been, as well as um, all the things that have changed in DFW, where I'm located over the course of the year. Definitely the the trips have stood out for me. This year, I got to travel to some places that I had never been to before in Texas, and then also to revisit some places that I visited last year um, with a little bit more focus. So um, like you mentioned, William, that South Texas trip was really informative. Um, I'd never been down to the Rio Grande Valley and spent much time there, um, and it was really exciting to meet many of the people who make up the art scenes um, in those cities and to kind of stay connected with them and stay up to date with what's happening there throughout the year. 
Um, I also went to El Paso earlier in the year and just spent a little bit of time there. Um, but I'm looking forward to going back next year. And then places where I spent more time this year, I spent a lot of time in San Antonio. I feel like I traveled there a few times this year. Um, and it was great to see things happening at Centro de Artes, both the Soy de Tejas show um, and also later in the year, the From South America to San Antonio, an exhibition of Pan-American documentary photography. Um, and then I also went to Abilene and spent a number of days there and got to know that space a bit better and, and some of the people there. So I feel like I, I guess maybe I'm I'm a glass tire old hat at this point, having been around for eight years. Uh, but the trips are really what stand out for me, too. I mean, you know, it, this job is it's such a unique thing to be doing because Texas is very big. And although we have a bunch of fantastic writers across the state, we need to know the state as well. Um, and some of my first trips, like my first time ever going to South Texas, my first time going to East Texas, um, were just so, some of the more formative experiences that I've had that stick with me to this day, even though they were years ago. Um, and I feel like I get a little bit of a taste of that whenever I get to go to a place that I haven't been in a while. Like, I I hadn't been to the Panhandle since um, the, the pandemic. We have some wonderful contributors out up there who have helped kind of manage our coverage. And the two of you went uh, not too long ago, but it had been a little while for me. So I went and visited Lubbock, which is its own art scene in and of itself. Um, I went up to Amarillo and uh, I did a podcast actually with John Rivette, who is the caretaker or the unofficial caretaker of Amarillo Ramp up there. And just being uh, seeing Amarillo Ramp when uh, this rainstorm was rolling in and it's starting to open up and us being like, oh, we got to get out of here. We are going to get rained in on this random ranch road. Um you know that's that's one of those uh, that's one of those experiences that it's not just looking at art in a gallery it's looking at something in the real world that's having an impact on your body and that you're having to engage with in a really specific way and i feel like a lot of times that's the type of stuff that i take with me year over year like one of the things that I wrote about in our best of this year was the William Kinteridge show at the MFAH in Houston and it's, it's kind of the same thing, even though that was art in a museum in a what essentially is a white cube gallery. Um, the show, I think because it's video work and because it was kind of immersive sculpture um, in that you just had to physically engage with it, it, it was something that was more than just looking at stuff on a wall. Um, and I, I, I guess I'm almost kind of noticing that even some of the stuff that I included in my own honorable mentions for the best of the year were those types of things like um, Patrick Renner at the Architecture Center Houston, Eduardo Portillo's paintings at Barbara Davis Gallery, which are really sculptural and three dimensional. Like, I feel like in a year that to me marked us, I hate to use this phrase, but getting back to normal, like, you know, everything basically is at full capacity again. Nothing's being shut down. We are continuing 100% full steam ahead. The stuff that sticks out in a year like that is the stuff that really makes an impact on your psyche. It's not just the art that you see in a gallery and kind of forget about, you know, three weeks later. 
Yeah, definitely for me, being in Marfa and seeing the Robert Irwin piece um, in person was that same kind of experience. And similarly, I think um, when I look back at the year, um, one of the things that really stood out was getting to see uh, shows by or even to um, learn more about artists that have been really formative for me as an artist. So going to the William Kentridge show with you um, was definitely a standout for me. Uh, he's an artist who has always kind of loomed large in my own art making practice. Um, and then being able to meet Mona Hatum and at Ruby City in San Antonio was really an amazing moment. Um, the Robert Irwin piece, of course, as I said, and um, I didn't get a chance to write about this, but we did have a, a contributor do an interview of Sandy Skoglund, um, and I did get a chance to meet her as well. And as a photographer, that was just a really amazing and unexpected moment. Yeah, it was so interesting to hear about those Texas connections that she has. Cause I feel like, you know, I, I knew about the piece that she has at the McNay uh, for the uninitiated. It's this sculptural assemblage room, essentially that's like covered in cheese doodles. Um, you'll know it if you've seen it, but outside of that, I didn't know that she had roots here. So it was really cool. I, I always like whenever content pops up on our site, um, it's always about something that's happening in Texas, but oftentimes you find out that these nationally known artists who may not live here have some sort of con Texas connection, be it they showed at Texas Gallery in Houston 30 years ago, or they just kind of like being here. Um, that's one of my that's one of my favorite things about interviews and things that our writers kind of pull out of people. Uh, one of the things that I wrote about at my end of the year summaries was TV. Um, this isn't, I don't want to harp on TV too long uh, because it's not necessarily art in Texas, but I feel like, you know, we occasionally cover larger cultural stuff. And I feel like this year was a year of larger cultural stuff happening in the TV streaming verse. Um, there was, uh, and that's even, you know, without the writers and actors strikes being considered just the TV that actually happened. There was a lot happening. Um, things like succession, the show that had everybody wrapped at the beginning of the year. Um, Barry, which I don't have y'all watched Barry, a uh, bill haters, wonderful HBO show. I haven't finished it, but I have seen, uh, I dropped off before the final season and yes, it is. It is very interesting. It's uh, there's no good way to describe it. It's just very weird. Um, but in a very good way. And then there's things like how to survive with John Wilson, which was one of my favorite things of the year and reminds me of like Nathan for you and the rehearsal and these weird shows that don't really have a theme. Um, I guess I'm just alluding to the fact that I like weird television, but, uh, but William, I, I brought this up because you've actually written a little more about TV this year. And I wanted to see what your kind of, take on it has been for the year. Yeah, I agree with your designation about television, at least for 2023, a lot of stuff happened. And a lot of the shows you describe actually um, do something that kind of reinvigorates me as a writer, which is that they're somewhat experimental in format. Um, How To with John Wilson is basically documenting real life. It's not a fictional show. It's kind of a documentary, but it's more of like a collaged diary sort of a thing. 
Um, it's quite clever. And then um, I won't spoil any aspect of Barry because it's much beloved. And if you haven't seen it, you should see it. But yeah, weird show, weird narrative premise, uh, which is cool. By comparison, the things I wrote about in um, streaming, in television, if you will, really, I think, I'm, I'm racking my brain now, uh, kind of focused on the two largest reviews I wrote were about docu-series of like fringe social groups. And I thought they were just really interesting. Um, the two docu-series being The Anarchists, and then that was earlier in the year, and then um, Hannah Olson's Love Has Won, a cult documentary also on HBO. And it just struck me how uh, those, the figures in that in those series and some of their ideologies not all of them are at the same time like relatable and completely bizarre um love has won i think captured the imagination and the attention of people because those testimonials on camera the the interviews that you're watching the meat of the documentary um a lot of those people are not uh recovered they're not they're not expatriated from the cult they still very firmly believe all of the stuff that is difficult to believe and difficult to watch um the anarchists was kind of a document of like a failed experiment that happened in recent years in mexico it also has this like major vein of like cryptocurrency hype kind of underwriting a lot of what happens and um i think a story or like a bunch of lessons learned from people uh like almost 10 years ago on the subject of like cryptocurrency technology i think that's of great interest to the public and at least it has been uh since the pandemic i don't know if it's a coming out of covid thing or what the deal is but i feel like this was the uh, year of cult documentaries just overall like I feel like there were a lot there were either a lot more this year or I watched a lot more this year or maybe both um, but I think it's I think it's just kind of a everyone trying to reorient themselves into what's normal yeah I there's something to that for sure there's also like uh, I mean love has won specifically is pretty recent. Um, the events of that series lead up to 2021, I want to say. That's quite recent. Uh, documentaries, my point is that documentaries take time to make. Uh, something has to have happened, and then you have to do all the dirty work of like dredging up video documentation and getting people to agree to speak on camera. So it's like, um, you know, they get released when they get released because of that that spans of time but there is something about coming out of covid it almost feels in a way um covid kind of has been forgotten uh i know we were all trying to forget it while it was like happening but nowadays it it feels like you can compare 2019 and 2023 and there are differences but it feels like progress has been made uh whereas for two solid years plus there were a lot of things that just were not possible and we're really out of those woods. Um, expansion is kind of happening like in the art 
industry and the art world uh, in a lot of other places in American and global society. But um, if you want to see, show, exhibit, or buy art, I mean, 2023 was like a really solid year. With the idea, William, uh, piggybacking on the idea of it kind of being a comparison to 2019, I want to get y'all's thoughts about this. I didn't run this by y'all, but when I was going through the best of this year, I noticed that there was a not insignificant number of group exhibitions that were included. And I feel like, you know, oftentimes group exhibitions get a bad rap, but often a lot of times group exhibitions get a bad rap because it's a group exhibition that isn't really thoughtfully done or put together, or it's just kind of an excuse to have a show. Um, And I feel like we got some of that coming out of COVID. Like some of it was, uh, we got those shows because they were either easy to put together or they were from singular collections or, you know, we didn't want to try and travel a show. Like for any any reason, uh, it was understandable why we had a couple years of that. But to have shows in 2023 that made our list and that were like very thoughtfully curated big group shows, um, I'm talking about shows like, Jessica, you already mentioned Soy de Tejas, but Soy de Tejas, I'm thinking about the Ceramic Osuro show that's at the Dallas Contemporary. Um, I'm thinking about A Gift from the Bower, which was a show that I wrote about that happened. Uh, it was organized by Diverse Works and then at uh, James Searles and Charmaine Locke's space in Splendora. Um, I'm also thinking about this. This is a show from one collection, but it was still breathtaking. The uh, 25 years of collecting show at the Rachowski warehouse um, shows like that, that, that were, were massive group show undertakings, but you know, had a serious through line and had a real reason for happening besides this is a group show. Um, Y'all have any thoughts about that for this year or for this year as opposed to other years? My response to that, Brandon, is kind of that it feels like in 2023, there were a lot of group shows, fests um, in, I don't want to say niche curatorial veins or like they weren't obscure. They were just kind of like really intentionally honed uh, in like creative and cool ways. I'm thinking of art as social practice at Spin Gallery. That was around the springtime. Um, that was an exhibition at Spin Gallery, which is a function of UT Dallas. And so a lot of the people they exhibit are related to the university. Um, all of that work was curated along the lines of art that had a kind of social application to it. Um, Social practice is not always the right way to describe this kind of work. Um, Some of that certainly was on view. And uh, Xteen Burrow, the organizer for the exhibition, compiled writings from the artists exhibited about their work into a compendium and like an anthology journal. And it's been one of my favorite things uh, one of my favorite objects I've received this year because it gives me abil- it gives me the ability to engage with the work a little more deeply, but also the work itself is meant to kind of be um, contemplated from the standpoint of like, okay, it's not just an image that sort of has a, a meaning to it. There's actually like 
action and application that has been accomplished by the making of this work. And uh, it's just given me lots to think about throughout the year. I I think for me, thinking about um, the group shows that we've seen kind of pop up this year, it's hard not to relate it back to uh, coming out of the pandemic. Right. I I think that for a long time and even still now, um, the art world has been kind of caught up on this idea of like a singular genius, a singular voice, um, the prestige of a solo exhibition. Um, But I think coming out of the pandemic, there was this need for community and coming together. And so perhaps these group shows um, are an extension of that. Um, that desire to build community, to find connections, to um, to associate, you know, uh, various artists across the state uh, back to each other and to kind of build networks and, and to build something. That's a really interesting take. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, th- I think that... Um, Obviously, as we've mentioned already, Soy de Tejas did a great job of that. But also looking at some of the significant shows that have popped up throughout the year, focusing on Black artists, um, for example, Witness, which recently opened at the Grace Museum, um, and it brings together artists, Black artists past and present in Texas, um, is another great example of that. And even Emancipation, the unfinished project of liberation that was at the Eamon Carter Museum earlier this year, which brought together contemporary artists from across the U.S., um, kind of creating work that spoke to the legacy of the Civil War. Um, Again, just kind of bringing together a variety of artists and, and kind of forming that connectivity or showcasing that connectivity between them. So I feel like another hallmark of this year is, and again, probably coming out of the pandemic, all that jazz that we've already talked about, but there have been a lot of new space openings all across Texas, really. And um, this hasn't really been bolstered by or been uh, an antithesis to that many closures. So we've just seen a lot of additions this year to the scene. Um, In Houston alone, there's the Hogan Brown Gallery at the El Dorado Ballroom. There's 3131 Gallery, which is across from the El Dorado Ballroom in the Third Ward. There's Laura Gallery, which opened this weekend. There's... um, Seven Sisters, uh, Aaron Dorn's new gallery. There's the Throughline Collective, um, and that's that's just in Houston, which is crazy. And some of these are for profit. Some of these are you know collectives like Throughline. Um, what about what about you, Jessica? You've written about quite a few of these openings for us, also. And there's also some on this list that we've just kind of been picking for a little while because they've been doing uh, good shows and we picked them for the top five or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, in Fort Worth, um, we had Jay Peeler Howell um, open a new gallery. Um, He formerly was working with William Campbell Gallery and has branched out on his own. Um, Also, Easy Side, which is a new nonprofit. They have recently opened their space, which is studios and also a small gallery space. Um, when I was in Marfa for Chinati weekend, I popped into Tierra Ike, a new small gallery space. Yeah. And I visited them during the Marfa Invitational. Um, they're in this really great old building on the main dragon town and I'm looking forward to 
what they're continuing to do out there. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting to see new things popping up out there and and to see what will happen next. Um, But then also uh, San Marcos earlier this year, Mothership Studios opened, um, and in Austin just recently, the Projecto Gallery opened. I don't know much about it at this point. I actually need to talk to her, and Jessica, you probably do too, but um, Leanne Lester has opened the Cactus Barn, which is a new space in San Antonio. She, I'm trying to remember the name of her previous galleries. If you're listening, Leanne, please forgive me. Um, but she's opened like project spaces in various iterations in San Antonio. So I was very excited to get an email about her uh, kind of starting up another thing like that again. Um, William, uh, I know you've kind of been tracking some in Dallas and in Austin. What do you got on the list? Yeah, over the course of the year, um, so this is not in any chronological order, but uh, I was able to visit Turin, Cody Fitzsimmons, new space that he has brought to Dallas, relocated from Houston um, himself, not the gallery. The gallery is new. When I went to Austin in the summer, I was able to check out McLennan Penn Co. Gallery run by Jill McLennan. Um, cute little house gallery. It's a gallery in a house, so I guess I guess that's what we call that. And she has an interesting, not quite a stable of artists, as I understand, uh, but she is bringing interesting exhibitions. Some figures that she's known through her years in New York. Uh, when I visited the gallery, she was flipping through recent exhibitions and showed a portrait of Telfar that... Ryan Tricartan had taken, which was incredibly beautiful and fascinating. Also, uh, pretty exciting, the studio complex Good Dad Studios opened earlier this summer in Austin. Um, and I think the remarkable thing about that is that it is uh, intentionally affordable artist studios, like basically in the city center of Austin. Um, which is something that I was not sure I would see happen in my lifetime. So that's really great. Um, And then in January, Melek Setian Briggs, which is a gallery that I know from their their years exhibiting at the Dallas Art Fair, made the jump and relocated their gallery to the Riverbend uh, Gallery Complex in Dallas, uh, rounding out that space of commercial galleries. Yeah, they opened the year um, in January with a much-talked-about Bastian Ader show that I was not able to see but heard a lot of people in Dallas really praise. So I think it's I think it's going to be interesting. Now they've been there a year, they've had time to settle, and uh, they're definitely going to be on the radar to see what they have uh, coming out in 2024. So with that, uh, that's kind of how we've been thinking about this year. Um, Before we actually wrap up, I wanted to ask um, what's been on both of your minds. What are the the little tidbits or hangers on that, you know, it wasn't an essay for you or or a review this year, but what what are the things that are just kind of just kind of mulling around? Um, I feel like for me, part of it has been... um, art books, which we are actually going to release a uh, our favorite art books of the year roundup that we haven't released yet. If you catch us before the end of the year, keep on track. Uh, 
you will see it from us. Uh, but I've been thinking about books of essays. I've been thinking about um, artist monographs and how they're kind of a really wonderful way to dig into an artist's work. Um, thinking about exhibition catalogs and how they function versus exhibitions. Thinking about the Manet Degas catalog of the wonderful show at the Met. Um, and that's 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 kind of been some of my uh, some of my tidbits. What about y'all? Uh, well, for me, you know, um, this past year I've been actually in a PhD program, and I've been thinking and writing a lot about um, the experiences of people of color in predominantly white art institutions, um, both as visitors and staff members. So that's kind of been on my mind, and then. Um, beyond that, when I was in Marfa for Chinati Weekend, I had the opportunity to see a musical performance by the artist Corrine Bailey Ray. Um, she sang many of the songs from her new album, Black Rainbows, which was inspired by a visit that she took to the Stony Island Arts Bank, an archive of Black life organized by the Astor Gates in Chicago. And so it also got me really thinking about the experiences of people of color in spaces that were designed and created by people of color. Um, it was a really remarkable performance. And between each song, she shared some specific experiences of things that she saw and witnessed and how they inspired the specific songs. Well, and I know, Jessica, uh, some of that that's been rattling around in your mind is going to be coming out in the next year with your uh articles that are part of the Warhol Arts Writer Foundation. I said that out of order, but the Warhol Foundation Arts Writer Grant that you got, um, which congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I'm really excited about embarking on that project in the coming year um, and having an opportunity to highlight some of the amazing spaces throughout Texas, um, some that have been around for a long time and some that have popped up in the last few years that are created by and for artists of color. So looking forward to jumping in on that work. I think this year I felt myself kind of changed by the events of the most recent years. And I really started to investigate uh, using public transit, both to see art and experience culture, but also for the kind of purpose of imagining a different reality, uh, one in which the infrastructure that we have, the, the car-centric infrastructure that we have, does not dictate human experience on this planet. Um, and I was able to take the train and take the bus in a number of cities in Texas, I will, I will say, uh, over the course of this year. And it's been really illuminating. And then by proxy of that, uh, because we have a wheel and spoke, a hub and spoke system in Dallas for our, our transit, um, that means that most roads lead downtown and our central library is downtown. Um, so I've been working there, uh, reading there. And from that point, I started to, every time I was visiting a new city, no matter where it was, I made an effort to check out the local library. And as luck would have it, some libraries, albeit in the major city centers, I will, I will say, um, have makerspace and media facilities. So editing software, computers, Macs, podcast studios, 
Um, some have textile looms, uh, photo studio space. The the resources are really actually fascinating. Um, and it, it just kind of like, I was flabbergasted that people aren't talking about this all the time because if you're listening to this, you know how much studio space costs in Texas. Um, so that is kind of, I've been taking notes, taking pictures, uh, documenting architectural details around the city and in public libraries. And it's, it's the subject of future writings. On that note, uh, thank you listener for sticking with us. Um, I will emphasize this again. Go read our best of list of the year. Uh, It talks about some of what we talked about, but then you also get the voices of all of our uh, contributors who contributed to it. Um, We'll be back with one more podcast this year in two weeks. And other than that, we hope that you have a wonderful holiday. And we hope that if you have family in town, or if you want to get away from the family that you have in town, or if you just want to take a moment for yourself, take some time and go see some art. Go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.